As the first few months of 2021 slowly tick by, we find ourselves in a vastly different world than the one we left behind just over a year ago. With encouraging efforts for global vaccination, we are finally beginning to see the flickering lights at the end of the tunnel and the faint outline of a roadmap back to normality. However, alongside this optimism, early signs begin to emerge indicating that the world may have already undergone a distinct and irreversible transition. The transition of the minds and the behaviours of the consumer. With the unprecedented and exponential rise of online retailing, logistic firms have been tasked with the added pressure of dealing with both surging demand for deliveries while simultaneously racing to reduce their environmental footprint. So with this rampant rise of online purchasing, how will supply chain businesses meet these accelerating environmental challenges? Welcome to Racing Green, the podcast that explores the ideas, innovations, and influences making waves in the journey towards a sustainable future for our planet. In each episode, we'll investigate the new challenges, ingenious solutions, and the undiscovered opportunities that lie in the heart of our rapidly changing world. We aim to accelerate a new era founded on optimism and impactful collective responsibility. Today we speak with Claire Thompson-Sage, Sustainability Coordinator for UPS UK, as we discuss the technologies that will enable her company to achieve a much more sustainable supply chain in light of the exponential rise of e-commerce. Great, Claire. Well, thanks so much for joining us here today. I'm, I'm really excited to, to have you here in studio. Good. It's, it's good to be part of. Thanks for inviting me. Give us a bit of your own personal background and your own personal journey? Well, I started working in UPS in customs clearance many years ago, going back 20 years now. And I, I found I had a, well, somebody told me I had a natural aptitude for engineering. So I, I went on an assignment, loved it. And very much, I've always had a, a passion for sustainability. So I did my engineering degree and specialising in sustainability alongside working at UPS, I would say over 10 years ago now. Um, and it, as developments in sustainability were coming more and more, I, um, our international director of sustainability asked me to work on a number of projects that were funded in the UK, knowing my background, uh, and it really developed from there. Wow. And, and, and what was it like 10 years ago? Kind of it was... A lot different, the focus on sustainability 10 years ago compared to today. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I'm no longer the strange wind turbine girl <laughs> talking about developing things. You know, there were a few voices back 10 years ago. Now it's, it's far more mainstream. But having said that, UPS has had a very strong background in sustainability and at the forefront of developing. I mean, our first electric vehicles in London go back to 2008. So Really? Yeah, so we're actually retiring those from the fleet at present. So it has been a long journey and we it's good to work for a company that thinks ahead and wants to develop these things before it gets to a necessity. Wow, yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I wonder if you could give us a little bit of background on the business, especially, you know, the scale of UPS in, in the UK. Well, I mean, talking about scale from overall as a company, we ship over... 3 million packages a day. We've got 125,000 vehicles in the fleet. So we're large. We've got 59 delivery depots in the UK. 
And in London, we dispatch around 200 vehicles daily. Wow. You've got 3 million parcels a day. How many vehicles out there on the road? 125,000 globally. 125,000 so, globally. Wow. Yeah, we ship around 3% of the world's GDP. Hmm. So it's big. <laughs> and, and how many vehicles in the UK? Uh, vehicles in the UK, around 2,500. Oh my gosh, that's a, a staggering amount. And obviously, um, you know, what's the background on the, on the electric fleet? Where, where are we at in terms of electrifying the UPS fleet? So it's, it's slow progress. As I say, we've been doing it since 2008. And back then, uh, we were going out to manufacturers and saying, we want electric vehicles, uh, and nobody was building them. So we had to go to a specialist company to get our first 10 electric vehicles in the fleet. And sadly, that company is no longer trading because there was just no interest at that time. The other thing we've found a challenge is getting vehicles of the larger kind, because as well as clean air issues and reducing greenhouse gas emissions, we also want to reduce congestion. So buying smaller vehicles would mean more vehicles on road, which has not really made sense to us. So getting vehicles of the seven and a half ton size, really, particularly with the density we have in London, uh, up until this point, we've been retrofitting diesels, working with a German company uh, so that we can have the vehicles at the size we want. So it's good to see that more manufacturers are looking at the larger vehicle market. Back to that uh, fleet now, how, how many electric vehicles do we have on the roads here in the UK? It's around 70 in London. And one of the other challenges we face with the electric vehicles is the range. So it's very easy for us in London, where we're very close to the centre, we've got lower mileage routes, because uh, we charge our fleets overnight back at base. So we've also deployed vehicles in Birmingham and Southampton, but those are with longer stem times of the uh, driver's routes on average are mostly over 100 miles a day. We've had to develop range extended electric vehicles because we haven't got the range to be able to do the routes. So up until this point, it's been mainly based in London. I mean, I see a lot in our area. I mean, there's not a day goes by that I don't see a, a UPS uh, electric vehicle um, around our sort of local borough of Camden. It's it's great to see. It's, it's wonderful. And, and it, you know, I, I didn't think it was actually possible that you could get a vehicle that size uh, moving and actually, you know, productively working. Um, so what would you say are the, the key benefits of of the UPS business moving to electric? Well, I think firstly and foremost is air quality and employee health. Uh, I mean, it's not just the local community that suffer from poor air quality, but also drivers of diesel vehicles are breathing in that air as well. So it's great to be able to have electric vehicles available to our drivers and our workforce. Yeah, it's funny. We don't even think about that. But actually, every day, we don't think about these drivers that are out there delivering in that vehicle, exposed to it all, not not only exposed to the fumes from the other cars, but from the, the actual vehicle that they're driving. Yeah, exactly, Jeff. And that's that's the point you made, that it's not just the, the vehicle that they're in, but also thinking that they're out delivering daily, you know, in, on busy streets, sitting in traffic with vehicles idling. So it's a, the quality of our drivers and our workforce is important, and as, as well as the air quality issues and health benefits. Uh, although typically there's a high upfront cost, the running costs are and the maintenance costs are much lower than for diesel vehicles because there are fewer working parts. So over the lifetime of the vehicles, it makes financial sense. 
Ah, so there's a there's a business benefit to electrifying the UPS fleet. Yeah, yeah, I, I think there can be as long as it's planned right and uh, the routes fit uh, with the business model. Mm. But generally, yeah, it's just that the capex up front is a big hit and that might be a challenge for smaller businesses. But as I say, over the lifetime of the vehicle, uh, you, you know, the costs are much lower. Um, if you could paint a picture of the the future of your fleet here in the UK, um, let's start with London to begin with, because that's the easier one. Uh, not easy, but the easier one. What, what, what would you expect you know, the fleet to look like in five years' time or 10 years' time? And will we ever see all the vehicles completely electrified? What's the plan with that? A couple of years ago, we embarked on a project in partnership with UK Power Network Services and the Cross River Partnership, who are NGO-based in London. And we worked to, on the Smart Electric Urban Logistics Project, which was to install smart grid technology in Camden. Previously, we'd had a very expensive grid upgrade, which uh, in terms of paperwork with the landlord was quite laborious. When we got to the limit of 63 vehicles, we didn't want to do another upgrade. So we installed some smart technology to balance the charging of the fleet. And the work we've done on that has allowed us to put in the infrastructure now to support a fully electrified fleet in London. So in terms of the vehicles, we work with a company called Arrival, who are a UK-based company. We're really excited that they're making the vehicles now of the size that we're looking for. And they are actually quite more cost comparable with diesel. So I think they can be a real game changer. In order to help them move forward, we made an investment in the company. Uh, we've done alpha testing over the last few years. Uh, and this year, we, we've gotten a few into London to do our beta phase testing. Uh, and if all goes well, we should see a, a rapid rollout across the UK, but also in America and Canada, North America mainly, and in Europe. So we've pledged to buy 10,000 vehicles and we look forward to seeing those coming into the fleet in the next few years. Wow, 10,000 vehicles. What are the challenges? I mean, you, you mentioned sort of upfront cost, capex, range. What are, what are the real challenges that you have in your role and in, 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 in the business has in moving faster to electric? So one of the things that's really a challenge that's outside of our control is the availability of vehicles. So the investment in arrival is hopefully giving us the push. Uh, and with them coming into the market with the more traditional diesel manufacturers, it may help to spur them on to develop more vehicles. So I think healthy competition will help drive down the cost, get improvements in range. The, the other issues we've got are really the larger vehicle models. So the haulage routes, the hub to package centre routes of large scale HGV tractor units. Uh, we've pledged to buy 125 Tesla large truck tractors, uh, but that battery size you know, the, the technology's got to develop there. And I think, again, we'll push for the possible ways of electrifying the large-scale vehicles, maybe by uh, wireless charging on motorways, that sort of technology. So it's, it's finding those larger vehicles and larger routes, how we can find solutions that fit with the long-term mm. aims of getting to net zero. I'm fascinated by the idea of hydrogen. Is that ever kind of been talked about in terms of the fleet? Or is there anything fully electric? as far as you, you guys can see? I think for the delivery fleet, electric works well. 
and it works well charging at, at base. So I, we see that as the vision really for our delivery fleet. In terms of the trunk routes from hubs to delivery centres, those longer where the range is and the size of, and weight of the vehicle is an issue. I think hydrogen does offer a lot of potential, but certainly that we need to see improvements in affordability infrastructure in hydrogen to make that work and also uh, in the efficiency of the hydrogen systems to make it cost effective. Uh, there's also talk in, in the Prime Minister's 10-point plan for climate change, talking about uh, using hydrogen for home heating. So that may also bring new developments and availability in hydrogen that will offset and, and benefit the vehicle market. And and from touching you know briefly on the con- the concept of sort of government and policy, what what does London, the whole sort of administration and 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 political network of London, need to do to help you as a a business that's you know trying to do a lot of good there? What needs to happen at a sort of a decision maker level to to make it easier for UPS to roll out? Is there anything? I, I think some of the changes that we've seen in recent times since COVID is. We're seeing a lot of changes in behaviour that has affected our delivery business in that a lot of people are working from home, a lot of businesses moved to online, we're seeing a lot more online sales and the ways people are living now, working from home, not commuting. There's been big changes in London with the drive to get people walking and cycling and that's also something we've developed in ESIS technologies. We deliver with around 500 bicycles across Europe and we're now looking to introduce that in the UK. So that again, as well as the electric vehicles, because let's face it, not everything can be delivered by cycles. People still need mattresses and exhaust pipes, but there is a large part of that business that could be delivered by cycles. And again, there are health benefits for employees and reduce congestion. So that's something we're looking at, but that does rely on us being able to have downtown last mile bases for cycles to park and deliver from. And particularly in London, finding space in city centres, very dense areas is tricky. And there's also the cost of the real estate within London. So, you know, we're not selling anything, whether we deliver a parcel in Manchester or Birmingham or London, uh, that's still the same cost, but real estate is a lot more costly in London. So trying to find that space for local deliveries to be done is a challenge. Uh, And I think there's a lot of potential for that. There is a lot of development work, new homes being built across London. And I've heard on one of your other podcasts talking about the development of sites and a mixture of retail space, business space and affordable homes, that having that balance uh, and looking at those developments to make space for cycle deliveries would help to make that a more rounded community within different boroughs within London. Help push ahead this uh, making space for cycle deliveries. That sounds... um quite incredible because yeah, I hadn't actually thought that your vision goes that far in terms of, you know, I was thinking like, okay, all electric fleets, but actually I think this sort of very nimble last meter delivery kind of thing or last kilometer delivery cycle is a, is a viable alternative in dense, I guess you're saying. Yeah, it certainly is. And in some cases it's a lot more efficient. One of the problems our drivers have is, you know, they're doing a, a, over a hundred stops a day and trying to find places to park close to where they're doing a delivery is difficult. So invariably they'll park up and deliver five or six parcels and have to walk to them. A cyclist can actually get there quicker. And to get into 
central London to, say, the W1 district from Camden. It's a very short distance, but it can take a driver pre-COVID 45 minutes. Uh, a cyclist can get there in 15. Maybe that, maybe I'm starting to see clearly here. When you're saying like space to park, I mean, could we actually see a sort of a UPS van having an ability to park, you know, for, I don't know, an hour or so at some spot or two hours, and then there's a cycle in the back of the van? Is that the kind of model where... That has been done. Uh, typically, our cycles are quite large, so we would like to... We've, we have based them uh, in Dublin. We have an operation where we park the cycles overnight in a local car park, and we have a container that's delivered to the city centre every day, and the cyclists mm -hmm. go and pick up parcels and deliver. The other option we have in London, particularly, is our largest vehicles act like a small consolidation centre where the driver parks up and has helpers who are walking on foot take deliveries off the driver to go and deliver by hand. Uh, that allows us to minimise the vehicles en route by putting the maximum amount of parcels that can fit into a vehicle and anything the driver hasn't got time to deliver it is delivered by a helper who meets him on area. Ah, there's so much going on behind the scenes. Wow, this is incredible. The rise of e-commerce in today's world will not come as a surprise to anyone. After all, we've watched the gradual increase of online purchases for the best part of two decades. But the events of the last 12 months, especially COVID-19, have acted as the ultimate catalyst for this new era of online shopping, propelling its use beyond an occasional millennial luxury and into the realm of an important basic necessity for all. Despite our favourite goods getting to us in just a matter of days, they often begin their journeys from the other side of the globe. The vast majority of products start their life in the factories of the East. 20% of global manufacturing takes place in China alone. And the majority of these items make the long trek through the supply lines to the mega consumers of Europe, Britain and North America. The environmental impact of this transportation is eye-watering, and with the accelerating demand, this can only increase. As early as 2015, 23% of the 514 million tonnes of carbon dioxide released into the atmosphere by the UK alone came from simply transporting boxes of stuff from one link in the supply chain to another. Never has it been more important to achieve sustainable supply chain logistics and as soon as possible. We've seen a massive increase in parcel delivery and again, most of that on online retail. I think in these times, a lot of the shops are shut, people are shopping online. There's an older generation that maybe typically didn't use online and click and collect shopping that has discovered that. So that's the main difference we've seen. We've also been increasing with deliveries in PPE equipment, vaccines, all that's part of the story. But the other big thing with the increase in parcels, what we're also seeing is we've got less packages per stop. By that, I mean, typically we may deliver to a business premises and there may be three or four people in that building who've ordered a parcel. So we're delivering six parcels to one place. Now that we're delivering more to residential, 
we're having to do more delivery stops because there's typically one package per building that we're stopping in. On the other side of the coin, although the drivers having to do more stops, what we are seeing is the travel time between those has dropped because they're doing more residentials where there's less congestion uh, and less people are traveling and commuting. So there's less traffic on roads. So wow. it's an interesting mix of how the business has changed over the last year. Can we imagine, I mean, obviously cycling is a great, is a great solution. Could you see really small microelectric vehicles zipping around? Is there anything in there on the horizon there that sort of... Yeah, our, uh, our ESIS cycles look like mini trucks. So when I say Do cycles, they? they're, they're, um, they're quite large in that they can take up to 90 parcels a day. Haven't managed to see one of those yet. Uh, I shall send you a photo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and, and I hope they're coming to Camden very, very soon. Or are they already there? Uh, they are imminent in Camden, so watch this space. So I understand you guys have a logistics centre. We do, yes. It's uh, that's our site that delivers to nearly all of the London postcodes. So that's based just opposite Kentish Town Railway Station. Right. I wonder you could tell us a little bit about that. In terms of that centre, how, you know, how many trucks go from there every day? And There's around 200 vehicles dispatched daily. The site can, has its own automotive workshop as well where we maintain all our vehicles. So our mechanics as well is created some new jobs in maintaining an electric fleet alongside a diesel fleet. So, yeah, they do most of London. There's some of the South London postcodes are are delivered by our Croydon site, but yeah, the majority of, of London is served by our Camden facility. Mm-hmm. It's also as part of the UK as a whole, but all our delivery centres, in fact, all our facilities are also on 100% renewable electricity as well. So I'm proud to say that we're powering not just our vehicles, but the actual electricity in the centre is all renewable and not from fossil fuels. And it's great to see a company of such scale with such a vision. Where does that ethos come from in, inside the business? I mean, where, where is that being driven from? Corporately, uh, as I say, it's been it's good for me to be able to work with a company, or work for a company that wants to deliver these sort of solutions, but very much from the, the top down. We've got strong goals in sustainability, uh, and we also have what we call our rolling laboratory approach, which is allowing different areas of the business to work with our local businesses, companies, universities uh, and governments and local authorities to develop technologies such as the ESIS cycles and the range extended vehicles. So those we've developed in the UK and it's really good to have corporate support and encouragement in developing these sort of technologies. Wow. What is it as sustainability coordinator? What does what your day look like and what do you like most about the role? Yeah, it can be quite wide reaching. So Anything from talking with companies and, and governments, uh, local authorities, to actually being out in a warehouse or an automotive workshop looking at technologies of new vehicles. Also looking at new fuels. So we've got some LNG tractors at our Tamworth hub. So as a bridging gap for the longer haul routes, I say, which are ve- electric vehicles aren't suitable for. We, we, we've got a renewable biomethane fuel on site and have LNG tractor units in the fleet. We've also buildings with solar panels, looking at opportunities to reduce waste, packaging solutions that are made from recycled materials. So it, can be, it is, like you say, very diverse, you know, interested to get into all acts of sustainability. Yeah, obviously, packaging is a really big part of the equation as well. 
Is there anything that you're especially excited about over the next couple of years? Of, um, I mean, you've mentioned some already, but um, yeah, it, you know, what can we expect on the horizon there? What, what, what are you most excited about? I think for me at the moment, the, the electric vehicles, the arrival vehicles being designed from scratch, arrival have done a great job. Uh, we just want to get them on the road and that's going to be great to see. I think you, you'll like the new designs. They're built with wide screens to be very cyclist and walker friendly as well. So that is it's great to see it come to fruition from Alpha and Beta testing to actually getting them in the fleet and having our drivers delivering with them on road. And is there any feasibility for autonomous vehicles? Is that, is that something? Is that just so far away at the moment in the in the horizon? Is there something planned there? Certainly, we've seen testing in both the UK and the United States. There's different school of thoughts. I think one of the interesting points I heard on that was at a conference where somebody was talking about does it change pedestrian behaviour in that if you know a vehicle will automatically stop if you walk into the middle of the road are you going to wait for the traffic lights to change or just walk out and, and vehicles end up stop starting so I think that will be interesting to see how it can work in reality the technology is there to do it but how it will work in a busy urban environment such as Camden I, I think that they'll need some significant testing in order to make sure it's safe and that it actually worked properly. So probably a few years away for that, from anything like that happening. Yeah, I, I think maybe testing in remote areas, but it's maintaining safety to be able to test in busy urban environments uh, needs to be done in a manner that uh, is well understood and secure. Drones, is that any anything part of the equation as well? Is that Funnily enough, we have got one of the first FIA-approved drone fleets in the United States. We do actually have drones. The reality is some of the deliveries we're doing are really remote farms and some of the less easy-to-reach fleets. One of the other programs we've run with Gavi, the vaccination non-profit, is we donated one of our engineers to them to help work out how to do last mile vaccine deliveries in Rwanda. And part of that was that they found the most efficient way where you've got temperature controlled vaccines that needed to get there to remote centres quickly was to do it by drone delivery. So we worked with a drone manufacturer to put a compartment of sealed vaccines into drones to deliver them to remote areas of Rwanda. So for those kind of areas and, and where you need, you've got time or temperature constrained goods, it, it does work well. I think from a security perspective, I don't think we're going to want to see lots of drones flying above the streets of London. You know, the risk of hitting somebody on the head or, or as I say, a, a security threat, I, I don't see the, the drones being the, the urban environment solution anytime soon. really fortunate to have UPS in our in our borough in our city driving that change so big thank you to Claire Thompson Sage who's UPS's sustainability coordinator thanks for being here today thank you for inviting me that's all for this episode of Racing Green thanks for joining us Racing Green is produced by myself Jeffrey Young Chris Bristow and Georgina McGiven in collaboration with the Camden Clean Air Initiative it was recorded at Serendipity Studios Camden North London with music and sound design by Chris Bristow.